You are listening to the KBO Portland, 90.7 on your FM dial. This is Talking Earth. I am board op and host for tonight's show, Patrick Bocard. Tonight's edition of Talking Earth is airing the full version of the World Poetry Day special featuring Kurt Schweigman, a director's cut of that show, if you will. Originally, we recorded over 40 minutes for that half-hour show. After we air the director's cut of that special, I will read more poetry from Kurt, as well as some, give some updates about the Portland poetry scene readings. I hope you enjoy this full version of the Poetry Day special with Kurt Schweigman. You're listening to KBL Portland, 90.7 on your FM dial. This is Talking Earth. I am Patrick Bocard, board op and occasional host of Talking Earth. Tonight, we welcome you to Talking Earth's World Poetry Day special. In this half-hour segment, we feature Kurt Schweigman, an Aglala Sikten... Please jump in if I butcher this, because I am. Sikhtangu. Sichangu. Sichangu, Lakota. Born and raised in South Dakota. Currently residing in Sonoma County, California. In the past, he performed under the non-diplume Luke Wormwater. Kurt has been awarded literary grants for his poetry, won a bunch of poetry slam competitions, and toured extensively across the United States and Europe. He has been published in several literary, literary journal and, journals and poetry anthologies, and also self-published nine poetry chapbooks. Is that correct? This nine? Yeah, um, I actually had to go back and count. <laughs> He is co-editor of Red Indian Road West, Native American Poetry from California, and his poetry appears in Shedding Skins for Sioux Poets. His bilingual poetry book, Roots Define the Reach of My Branches, will be published by Gilgamesh Press in the summer of 2023. That's still correct, right? Yes, uh, in Italy. <laughs> and it, oh, and yes, it, it's being published in, and well, it'll, yeah, the Italian press. Confluences of Solitude, your new work, your new book is now out on Mitote Press. I'm probably mispronouncing that too. Uh, Mitote. Mitote Press. Mitote, yeah. Um, I would like to thank publisher Michael Burton for getting this uh, Talking Earth event started and for helping to set everything up. And now, we're going to hear from Kurt Schweigman, formerly known as Luke Warmwater. And the first question I have, for those, especially for those of you who remember you, when you were reading in Portland a lot back in the early aughts, what, why did you, why the change back from Luke Warmwater? What was that about? Oh, yeah. Well, first of all, I want to thank all the listeners out there uh, in Kebu land and uh, yeah, fond memories of the early aughts uh, living in Portland and a quite uh, thriving time for poetry, uh, spoken word, slam venues. Uh, about every day of the week, you could find some kind of poetry event where you could go read at or go enjoy, you know, and, and listen. So uh, you know, so it, it was it was a really uh, great time, and yeah, I I had uh, changed 
the lukewarm water name back to anything I do with, uh, uh, you know, publishing, performing, reading, whatever, anything to do back to my birth name. And the Luke name I held on to for uh, 18 years. <laughs> so when I started uh, with poetry, I, I quickly moved on with that nom de plume uh, before moving to Portland. And, uh, you know, it, it was just, uh, you know, I am native and, uh, you know, I, I, I felt that, you know, it was just, I, I do take poetry seriously, but at the, at the same time, I, I, I'm not from that literary ilk. I was, you know, kind of raised on the open mic circuit and, and learning from my peers and, you know, not, not academically taking literature in that way. So I, it was just kind of a tongue in cheek way of just kind of having a, a fun name. And, and a lot of the material was, uh, you know, either, uh, you know, overt or covert kind of humor I tried to add in a lot of my pieces. And uh, so with that Luke name and having it for 18 years, a few years ago, uh, maybe, I think maybe five or six years ago or so, uh, while living in Oakland, uh, I, I had still used that name of Luke and, and did events and, and readings and whatnot. And then it just occurred to me that, you know, I wanted to move on from the name and just revert back to, you know, my birth name because my material has had shifted in a way and it's in, in the poetry over the years is, is kind of like a diary, you know, it's kind of like a, a self-reflection as a writer. So I found myself, you know, as I grew growing older <laughs> and uh, you know, my, my young daughter now is an older daughter and uh, you know, life dynamics are quite different. And, and so, you know, the heyday of, of Portland and it was, you know, tons of fun and being around so many creative people and whatnot and having good times. And, but I, you know, I, I just kind of came more into myself as far as kind of moving away from that while being here in California for almost, you know, like over 17 years now, I guess, uh, and, and mostly in the Bay area now living in Sonoma County, uh, about an hour North of San Francisco. Um, so I, I I just felt like my writing I, it was it it changed in in a, in a way that is more thoughtful in a sense that the subject matters that I choose are are different um, maybe they're a, a, a bit uh, they're different because <laughs> my life is different in a, in in a lot of ways so I would just say that uh, I I think you know moving back to my name just is that transition and trying to grow as a writer. And in in putting the Luke years, I like to say like uh, the Luke name turned eighteen, so it's an illegal. It's a, not illegal, but maybe illegal. <laughs> a legal <laughs> adult, uh, it can't vote, but it can you know it can go out on its own. It, Luke Luke Water <laughs> can live on with uh, perhaps other artists and, and other artists and, and references to that name are are certainly there, but uh, you know. They're fond memories, but I, you know, I want to evolve and grow as a writer and, 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 uh, you know, performing and reading and, and so forth. So, but the, the style of my storytelling in poetry, that always is with me. That's just hardwired. So Patrick, I know you, you had 
read, you know, quite a few of the poems in the new book. And, and so, yeah. and Patrick, you, you know, you knew me back in Portland in the early aughts. And, and so, you know, it, it, it's, it's, I think still that same style. And I, so the Luke name just really, um, I don't know. I just, I felt to just, it wasn't, and it wasn't like I woke up one morning and said, oh, I'm going to get rid of it. I just thought about it for a long time. And I started like submitting uh, poetry and, and, being part of this anthology for California native poets. And I thought, you know, I'm, I'm going to use my birth name. And, and just so it, it, it you know, kind of happened over weeks or a few short months that I just kind of transitioned to, to let it go and just, you know, go back to my, my uh, real name. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, so that, that is uh, kind of the, the story of how I, uh, uh, you know, mo- moved on from the loop name, but I am I am still the same poet. I assure you that. <laughs> you do have new styles though, a little bit. You still, I mean, you write um, in a narrative manner, mm. but you do have. Uh, I've noticed it's like there's some differences sometimes in the 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 way you write. I mean, you didn't. I mean, it seems some of the the works are prose poems oh yes and then some of them look like the at first i thought they were prose poems but i realized no there are lines that are broken it's just really long lines yeah not super long like a you know what ginsburg was doing but like yeah they're solid long lines and it's like yeah your narrative narrative is a big part of your your aesthetic yes oh thank you patrick yeah i that just comes natural for me. I think um, I, I, I don't know how to explain it. I just evolved to that. And I would say with this new book is there's a lot of effort and thought that went into it with the previous chat books. You know, I, I, you know, maybe give them a once or twice over and I'd say they're done. Okay. Let's get it to the printer and <laughs> bind them and, and just move forward. This one was really uh, a lot of effort, you know, certainly Michael Burton uh, really, I have to thank him certainly first off, because I, you know, I wasn't really submitting poems out for journals as much as I would just, it would, they would just come to me. So I would type them out and I would email them <laughs> to Michael and a, and a handful of friends, you know, just, just a very few people. Um just, you know, just to see what they think and just for entertainment value. So after a few years of doing this, you know, I wasn't quite really pro- prolific, but Michael came to me and asked, you know, hey, I think, all, you know, all the poems you've been sending, you know, you, you have enough material here to to put a book together. So um, so I looked back and and I didn't. But uh, in, in late last year, when, when I kind of, I really agreed to, okay, Michael, let's go for this and, and try for a book, uh, with the new poems, new material. And so I, in a short amount of time, I, I had to become quite prolific. And, and then that, that also came natural. And at the same time, parallel, I kind of moved away from poetry because for gosh, for over a couple decades now, I, I wanted to write this novel. Um, and, and so I started writing that, uh, about a year ago, we're really diving into it and doing the research in that. And so that's a different topic. And I'll, I'll talk about that later, but sitting bull in Paris. Yes. Yes. Sitting bull in Paris is the title. Uh, there's a short story from it that I've submitted to literary journals. 
recently. Um, but that is basically really a, it's a fiction, but it's a contemporary and historical fiction. So the, the protagonist in that story interacts with Sitting Bull in a way that it is in contemporary time, but Sitting Bull himself is, you know, past, you know, in, in the late 1800s, right? So in, in, in a sense that I wanted to get the history correct. So I've been doing a lot of research, going to the library, checking out, you know, Sitting Bull, you know, books about Sitting Bull, uh, the Wild West show when he was part of that briefly, you know, with his flight to Canada after uh, uh, the Battle of Greasy Grass where General Custer was killed and the 7th Cavalry, you know, so his years in Canada. So I really wanted to intertwine this, even though it's fiction, but making it a historically as accurate as possible. So in writing this kind of these, this short story and in, in the research and, and writing things down into this, towards this novel, that helped me kind of really create and set aside topics for poems that, that, that lended itself to kind of set the novel aside a bit and then just get more ideas for, to fill in the book. So the narrative style really comes from, I think that exercise in, in, in writing a first time novel. And I, and I must say it's much more challenging than poetry I'm finding. Uh, <laughs> It's, you know, grammatically and, you know, I, I was horrible in, in composition. <laughs> I still am, you know, yeah. so, you know, it, but, you know, the, the fun of it is, you know, you just, you just hammer it down on a keyboard and in, in, in the process in the same way with poetry, poetry, I, I feel like I can get away with a little bit more things, but this book confluence of solitude, I got, a, I got really good help too. And, and, and I, I have to give thanks to Bruce Henderson, who, is in uh, uh, he lives near uh, Pismo Beach. I met him many years ago, and he, he is a retired uh, California State University professor that taught in Irvine. And he brought me in to to do a reading there many many years ago. Um, a- after I met him at uh, uh, a literary festival in New Jersey, uh, uh, the the Dodge Poetry Festival, the the big the big one. <laughs> so I was you know, that, that was great. So anyway, he, we stayed in touch and, and he really, you know, he really helped me craft uh, a, a lot of the book and we went back and forth. So I can definitely say for all the nine chat books I did, I put in more work to really fine tune and craft this in a way that, that really brings more strength to my narrative style, as you say, but they're not just one one style of narrative, as you've probably seen in the topics of poems. So, you know, I they they vary greatly. So the the main topics are, you know, kind of recalling my upbringing in South Dakota and like in my Indian neighborhood where I grew up, and kind of the dynamic with the reservation, visiting the res, and you know, just just that dynamic of youth, and then and then kind of more things recently like you know, living in the Bay Area, California, and, and that kind of that dynamic. And and some of my travels to Europe while touring Europe to, for poetry and, and whatnot. And, but also too, uh, these past few years, I've been going down to uh, uh, ba- uh, Baja California Sur in Mexico, uh, you know, Los Cabos in that area, La Paz. And, and so I, I'd make a trip about every year, even during the pandemic, I'd still go down so I was greatly influenced kind of by by that and in that 
that you know might be a final destination for me in my future <laughs> okay. uh, to to retire or fake retire or however I can get by but you know I, I just really love it I just feel like an energy there that that uh, is, is really great so there the book really you know kind of contains some of that dynamic of, of the experience of that and and I love the travel um, and and so I you know it's everything is brand new and fresh there's a lot of that in the book yeah the poems I read there's a lot of that yeah so before we get back to Kurt Kurt Schreigman and his and his poetry that he's going to be reading in just seconds, hopefully. I'd like to remind you to support Talking Earth and Kibu. So please go to kboo.fm slash give and support, support Kibu during its current pledge drive. And now, Kurt, do you want to read a, read a poem out of the book? Yeah, sure. Uh, this one is titled Untitled Prairie. Hotchkiss guns smoldered, burnt gunpowder, barrels still warm as the generals nodded in stern approval. Tall prairie blades of grass still remember that unmistakable whistling sound of passing bullets, even if history forgot. His genetic memory faded as he pushed in the clutch, shifted gears, accelerated onto speeding freeway, windows rolled down, wind tossing his long dark hair in all direction of endless possibilities, reminiscing his own past to taste Lakota fry bread dipped in warm choked cherry pudding, to drive slow without traffic, caress firm brown breasts, admire curvature of earth, laughing at risk the untamed fun, a distant recollection he left far behind, home of South Dakota. Oh well, the sun, an ocean, the life is here now in California. Will return home when they bury him among the memory of tall prairie grass. <laughs> <laughs> that is one of the poems that's not a prose poem. <laughs> those those lines aren't super long, but I I wanted to ask you, choke cherry, what is that? I don't know that. I, it's uh, is in Lakota. It's called wojapi. It's it's okay. like uh, you use fresh berries. My mom used to make my aunties, and you know, as far back as I can remember, grand grandmothers, you know, they they would pick the choke cherries or any kind of berries, you know, in in the spring, and um, and in and in it you you make it uh, it's heated, and then you you add sugar, and then and in it and it makes into a pudding, and so you make the fry bread, which is you know not not a traditional Indian food per se, but it kind of became that because of the commodity food and flour and <laughs> things yeah. like that from commodities. So, so when you get the hot, you know, the, the, the fry bread out of the oil and you have this warm choke cherry pudding and then you, you just dip it into this, you know, sugary mix of pudding and, and, and eat it. And, oh, just, it's, it's amazing. And I, I miss that. I, uh, uh, my daughter and I try to make, uh, our attempts at fry bread, <laughs> but, uh, you know, not as great as my mom's, but, uh, uh, I haven't tried, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, Wojapi yet. Uh, that's something I, I think we need to try to make, but, uh, yeah. So it's just a, you know, more, it, it is a cultural kind of food in a way, but, but more contemporary, but, you know, it's been around for decades. So, yeah. yeah. I just, I didn't know. I knew the, 
knew what fry bread was, but, and I just was kind of, it's nice detail. I mean, it's like, and it's also, yeah, it, like you, you feel the, it, it gives you a sense of place as well as uh, the culture and, and the displacement, I guess, of the culture of the character going from one place to another. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, I could share another one that's a bit kind of a narrative. Sure. Whichever, whatever one you want to read. I mean, I, yeah. I really, I, mean, I love the poems in this that I've seen in this book. Yeah. Thank you. And, um, yeah. Go, go for it. Okay. So this one is written in a style like, uh, I don't want to give too much away, but I, I wrote it in with intent as a, uh, like a news article you'd read in a, well, they don't really print news. I guess they still print newspapers, but <laughs> yeah. they get their news on, on, on our smartphones now. But anyway, this one's called American Bison Demand Removal from Terrorist List. Washington, D.C. Representatives from various buffalo herds across the Great Plains converged on Capitol Hill for a rally in support of their freedom rights as American bison. Yes, I agree we have gotten bad press from rare isolated attacks on Yellowstone tourists and Sturgis bikers, but we were provoked by stupid humans, said Brutus, a buffalo from South Dakota, with ancestral lineage as far back as the settlement of the West. How do you justify the senseless slaughter of us in the millions more than 100 years ago to near extinction just to build railroads and create farmland? Yet you call us terrorists. Brutus added that you cannot judge an orchard by a few bad apples and that buffalo are docile creatures, but get angry when petted. He went on to highlight their positive contributions as sport team mascots and a healthy yet delicious alternative to beef. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And that is one of those pros (laughs) balls. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I uh, found that very amusing. Yeah, that, that was fun to write. It just kind of give a twist on, uh, you know, uh, yeah. I, 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 I th- you know, I want to mention that, you know, he passed on now a few years, but one of the greatest inspirations that really got me into poetry way back in the 90s, um, like kind of the early mid 90s, was the uh, Paiute poet, uh, Adrian C. Lewis, and and reading his stuff, you know, it it really felt uh, I, I felt like he was it, it was writing from an Indian for Indians, and obviously, you know, during that time too, I I, I know he influenced you know the, the great writer Sherman Alexie, and and of course I read his things too, and, and not to take anything away from him, he's an amazing writer. But it always felt like he was writing for the mass audience. And I don't consciously try to write for either. But when I when I I just felt a more of a connection with uh, uh, Adrian Lewis, his, his poetry and in, in, in his books. And because it seemed like he, he was at a really a level that I could really connect with. And, and it felt like it was it was absolutely genuine. So me starting to write was just for my it helped me find my way to have my own experience and tell it in my own way and to be true to myself and in the way I tell it. Right. So, but you know, he, he had this, uh, was it wild animals and other creatures? 
he had this book where all these animals on the res, you know, they're like humans, right? So they kind of like come to life. So I, I don't know if I consciously thought of that in, in, in that poem, but <laughs> it was just a, it was just a weird take. I go like, wow, you know, why can't bison? Because, you know, you'd see in the news every now and then like, oh, some, some, uh, some, some biker in the Black Hills tried to go up and get a picture next to a buffalo and it like <laughs> gores them or it's like some tourist in Yellowstone tries to like go out and pet it, you know? And, yeah. <laughs> And I go like, you know, it's not a cow. <laughs> it's a wild creature, right? So I thought, you know, it's getting this bad press from, you know, obviously the, the people are not foolish. Right. Yeah. Foolish, right? But, yeah. you know, what, what about if, you know, just to be absurd and, and come up with a prose <laughs> fake news piece? Oh, you know what it inspired me is like, uh, I'm a big fan of the onion. So I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I wish it would accept sub submissions. I would have sent that one to the onion. I, so, so that, that was the inspiration I think for that poem reading the onion. I go like, Oh, I could put a twist on my own news story. <laughs> so uh, uh, yeah, I, it, 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 of the ones you read, Patrick, is there anyone that, that you want to talk about or, or, or. Well, that one I, I wrote, I wrote some of them down and I wrote like uh, the note behind uh, American bison demand removal from terrorist, terrorist list was prose, pro, prose poem hilarity. <laughs> uh, what was it? Uh, I do wish to mention Keith Richards and the million dollar baked potato, even though it might be too long for you to read. Yeah. But because it's not, at first I thought it was a prose poem, but it's not. But the amount of detail you got into it, like I've worked at a record store and I love the stones. I didn't know that much about Bobby Keys at all. Oh yeah. <laughs> and you kind of were able, that was all, that must've taken a lot of research and you felt like, it felt like you got into Mike Keith Richards head a little bit. Yeah. And, yeah. So um, it, it is, it is the longest piece in the book. It's, 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 it's a few pages. So, I mean, in the book, there's, there's 39 total, you know, poetry pieces. Uh, I mean, the book itself, there's like 96 pages and, you know, that, that takes up, I think, about one, two, three, four, five, six, seven pages, I think. Um, so, I, you know, it's going to be too long to read over the air here. But, you know, it was fun to write because um, <laughs> on one of my trips to uh, uh, Bahasur, they have an, a, an English paper that comes out, I think, every month or, every you know, around that, you know, infrequently. And, you know, they're all around there in, in, in different places. And, and so I, you know, I pick one up, you know, just to, to grab and, you know, while I'm there and, you know, have, you know, having vacation, whatever. And I came across this article about, they have this one section about um, uh, uh, recipes or, 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 or uh, you know, like a, ask a chef or something like that. Uh, and yeah, so the, the Gringo Gazette, there is this article in there about, uh, the title caught me and it was called a million dollar baked potato. And I go, well, that's cool. And uh, so I read it <laughs> and then it's an actual, it's an actual prepared, uh, you know, with, with, with uh, caviar and, and truffles 
and which which make it to this like really expensive level as you know and, and they they make fun of it as a, calling it a million dollar baked potato and then they use you know a russet idaho potato recipe so i read this recipe and then i found out the person that that uh wrote the article about the recipe and how the how it came about is that he was uh, a personal chef of uh for a, for a while for keith richards and keith richards ha- has i don't know if he still has but at, at time of when he was a chef he had a place in, in palmilla which is a very exclusive place and 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 i've been there it's 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 not a gated community but the houses are gated <laughs> and but there's a public beach there which is odd because you see these million dollar plus million dollar homes there and so i imagine you know keith being at the public beach and kind of seeing these houses from the shore and whatnot on you know that that he would be there and then that he would be up all night and then in the morning he would get his kind of late night dinner, which is, you know, in the, you know, when the sun's coming up. Right. So, so that inspired me to, to come up with this long kind of prose piece story of imagining how Keith Richardson and, and, and knowing, um, you know, the, the role of, I had seen a documentary about Bobby Keys and then, so it's just Keith Richards by himself in his own thoughts and how, you know, Bobby Keys is kind of like this uh, extra stone that really doesn't get credit, you know, right? You got, you know, the usuals, you know, you got, you know, after Brian Jones' death and Ron Wood came on. And, of course, you always had Bill Wyman and Charlie Watts and, of course, Mick, you know. But he was this really influential saxophone player uh, d- during kind of the height of the, the 70s, you know, of, of their time and success. And he, he brought that really grit saxophone, right? And, and really recognizable in, in a lot of the songs. So I, 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 I thought, you know, and, and what is true, they were both born on the same day and year. So they were kind of like twins. They felt, they felt themselves as a kinship as twins. So they, they, they musically, you know, made each other better, but then they also kind of were wild. And I think maybe, uh, uh, you know, with, with the, the heyday of rock star heyday, I, I think that, you know, with, with uh, uh, you know, Bobby Keys, you know, he, he was a bit wilder. And so anyway, uh, you know, I'm kind of rambling on about about this piece, but, uh, uh, you know, it was fun to write. And I'm glad that you caught the nuances that I, I did do my research and I did my yeah. diligence to. And that is accurate on dates and times and places. And oh, things yeah. That happen. And well, you know recording sessions in in in, in uh, Europe and tour and whatnot so those things really did happen but the fun part was like kind of piecing together the facts with like you know what Keith is thinking of a moment you know kind of being up all night by himself and in his own thoughts and thinking about these things like it it, it just it, it made it you know feel like you know Keith up all night with a nearly empty bottle of Jack Daniels you know smoking cigarettes and, you know, with his skull ring on and, you know, and his raspy laugh and, you know, just, you know, just living the life of a rock star the way, way he wants it, you know, and, 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 and I found out in the article too, that Keith is very, uh, he, he's, 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 he eats organic foods. I mean, like that's the thing, even, even back then, I mean, he was, you know, people think of him as this <laughs> creepy vampire corpse kind of guy, but he, I mean, he, I'm sure he has his vices still, but you know, he, he, I think he does try to live, uh, 
uh, eat healthy, <laughs> at least for my gut. <laughs> well, according to his blog enough that he probably is doing that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what, what was that thing? Uh, you know, uh, yeah. If, if, uh, you know, if it doesn't kill Keith, you know, we're all right. You know, Keith will outlive COVID and uh, nuclear wars. And, <laughs> and, <laughs> um, so, uh, well, first off, I, Again, I would like to remind everyone that they can support KBU by going to kboo.fm slash give and clicking on a button to give to support KBU and Talking Earth. And we're going to get back to Kurt Schweigman's poetry. Um, is there one you want to want to read? Or I do have ideas, but... Uh, Go ahead. Good. You let there me are know. There are a bunch of them that I like. Do you want to read one of the painter ones? Which ones? You had a couple about painting, about painters. Oh, and going yeah. Paintings. And that was kind of about travel as well. There's also, I mean, I, I can just name all of them, and we only have half an hour, so it's not, that's not going to happen, unfortunately. But, yeah, if you want to, or if you want to read something of your, you know, that you want to get in, that's great, too. Yeah, let me, uh, I'll, I'll do the, this one that's so, uh, one is this one's a bit shorter than the other one. So, um, yeah, so this one is uh, Caravaggio is the title. Uh, in dark spaces of large churches in central Rome reside massive paintings by Caravaggio, smaller sizes in the well-lit Galleria Borghese, relevancy from over 400 years ago, capturing the seedy underbelly of life with religious experiences of divinity, intertwined therein sins of man, God's redemption, within grit of existence in the human condition. Conversion on the way to Damascus. Saul fallen nearly trampled by his horse as he lay on the ground, arms outreached to the sky, Lord asking him why he persecutes. Sick young, young sick Bacchus, Jaundice skin holding rotting grapes, decadence taking its toll, even for a young man. David with the head of Goliath. The title says it all. David's sword is inscribed in Latin with humility kills pride. Caravaggio's severed head is that of Goliath. Witnessing those paintings and others in person, I relish beyond capable describing in words. This experience more than can be comprehended, viewing in a glossy art book watching in a documentary, or even in a prayer to God. <laughs> so uh, my last year in European trip, I was invited to Rome and uh, did a couple gigs there. And and then they wanted to have a day for me after I did the two gigs and uh, to take me around, you know, kind of central Rome, the market. And they wanted to show oh, really great hosts, just beautiful people, amazing food, as you can imagine. Oh, my gosh. It, it, it's just, oh, you know, it's decadent, but just uh, I, nothing can compare to it that I can get in the States. Uh, anyway, so they said, what do you want to do? You know, where do you want to go? Is there something you want to see? You know, do you, you want to go to the, you know, uh, you know, and I, I said, hey, I, you know, I'm a huge fan of Caravaggio, you know, the, the bad boy painter, you know, from way back when. And and uh, can, can you take me to the, the churches, you know, and and uh, I, I already took a tour to the Borghese and, and seen, you know, some of his artwork there and, and his other amazing artworks. But, yeah, so they took me around, you know, central Rome to these uh, churches and, and 
and it's just massive paintings, you know, just, wow, like 20, 20 feet tall, you know, and yeah, they're just incredible. So, you know, that, that, that was fun to, to recall that and, and, and experience that there. And, and, uh, and I, I maybe since I'm having the other book published, um, it, it's kind of a selected a new poems book, a shorter book in a series of uh, international poets and they translate to their local language as well as Italian. And uh, that'll come out later this year. So maybe late in the year, um, I, I'm planning to return in, 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 you know, in support of that book and, and do readings. Um, I, I assume in Rome, I don't know where else in Italy, um, but I must say touring England, Germany, um, in, in, in reading in Rome, um, you know, poetry is, you know, how can I say it, it, it's, it, it, it's, it's looked upon as more of a, you know, it, it has more of a draw than, than the U S and, and uh, I'm not comparing it to, to, to jazz in a way of, of, of performance, but I, I, I understand that now why jazz musicians felt more appreciated in Europe during, yeah. you know, during, during that time where U S it's, you know, Hey, it's, you know, rock and roll is the new thing and jazz got pushed aside and, you know, the progression of music, but, you know, certainly I did a lot of gigs there and some were not well attended, but some that were promoted well. Wow. I mean, last time in Rome, each of the gigs had, you know, one had like 70s, 80 people and another one had like 50 or so, you know, so it was like, it, it, it just, it, it just felt really, you know, they, they treat you like a rock star and then they, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's great. And, and, and uh, I always love that in, in, in going to Europe and, and generally speaking, it's just, it's more of an appreciation, but uh, not a hundred percent of the time, not every venue, but compared to the U S I mean, the U S does well in some venues, but um, yeah. So anyway, yeah, I just wanted to share that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, uh, yeah. Any, any other a time for another? No, let's do another one. Do I mean, one if more? I have to edit something out, I'll do it, but like, okay. it might be over time already, but like, I'll just cut, I, maybe I'll cut my talking or a little bit of talking off or something. Yeah. I've been rambling on quite a bit, but yeah, well, I'll cut, I'll cut what I just said out too. Definitely. Yeah. Well, that's okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so. Um, I'll I'll read this next piece. Uh, this actually came to me in a dream, <laughs> and uh, as I was finishing pieces for the book, I, I you know I I had to keep like a little notepad next to, to you know on the on the nightstand you know so <laughs> because I would wake up you know and I, I I like I can't lose this memory and I have to like jot this down or I like to dictate it into my my iPhone anyway so yeah this is totally inspired by a dream i had so it's called junior's dream okay yeah american bison at a small parisian cafe buffalo the size of humans walked on hind legs spoke like people with our same mannerisms still looked like bison in natural hide horns humpback but didn't wear clothing like people do how they crossed their back legs as they sat in cafe chairs a strange comedy to their movements. Small group of teenage boy bison 
knew each other as schoolmates with French names like Arnaud, Sebastien, Valentin, and so on. Arnaud was called Eagle Power, but insisted Junior call him Arnaud for some peculiar reason. As they sat at the cafe sipping espresso, listening to Edith PF records, reading John Cocteau poetry books while smoking cigarettes, lifting them to their bison mouth snouts delicately between their front leg cloven hooves, grunting while exhaling plumes of smoke. Junior was the misfit buffalo who tried to coax the other young bison bulls into staying out late drinking, chasing older buffalo cows. Annoyed by French singers, he would switch out the cafe record player with Elvis Presley, tried persuading them to read Jack Kerouac instead. The other buffalo often teased Junior, tired, tried not paying much attention to his rants, dismissing him as a nuisance that would never amount to anything. When Junior awoke, he realized his fate, if only within a dream. (laughs) (laughs) You've been listening to Kirk Schweigman read his poetry from his new book, Confluences of Solitude, on my toady press. My toady. My (laughs) toady. One, yeah. one of these days I will get it correctly. Sorry, Michael Burton. Yeah. Uh, and I'd like to thank Michael Burton as well for getting helping put this together. Yeah. And thank you, Kurt, for coming on KBU. And uh, I, I strongly admonish everyone to get this book because I'm going to have to go get it. Michael posted a link online, and uh, I've already read – maybe 14 at least i think of the poems you have 39 in there and i really want to read the rest of them because this is pretty amazing and very different kind of stuff you read post prose poems as well as uh long narrative pieces and uh shorter pieces like the one you just read which reads like a parody of open mic cafes i might say <laughs> yeah and then, uh, and then uh, i would like to, yeah yeah so uh yeah i just letting the kbu listeners know you know yeah i i, I hope that you support a, a small portland press here with matote press and uh, michael burton and and i'm very honored that he thought of me to to you know get this collection together and i i think it's you know, I really enjoyed writing it and, and it, to see it in its actual book form is it's always amazing to see that. And, and uh, it, it is available at Powell's um, if, if you're so happen to be downtown or in that area, uh, you know, you can stop in and pick it up there. And if you're further out uh, uh, in, in the North Bay here where I live uh, is uh, Sausalito Books by the Bay. And just like it sounds, SausalitoBooksByTheBay.com, one word. If you find your way to the 2023 events, I'm giving a a reading there uh, soon. And uh, there's a a form there where you can fill out. And the great thing about them, too, is it's free shipping. (laughs) You don't have to pay for shipping. So if you don't make it down to Powell's, you know, in Portland, uh, and, and you're further out or something, or you, you can't get out, you know, you can certainly order from Sausalito Books by the Bay 
and uh, you know, they don't charge for shipping, which is a great thing. So, you know, I, I thank all of you that listened and uh, yeah, uh, no lukewarm water, but you know, Hey, I'm still the same thank, poet. Yeah. Thank you, Kurt Schweigman. Thank you. Everyone have a good night. When I went back to edit the Rod audio for this show, I assumed Kurt had read Keith Richards and the Million Dollar Baked Potato, a poem he had liked very much, and I had edited it out. But unfortunately, we had decided that we had no time for it in the special since it was only a half hour. So I'm going to read it now. Keith Richards and the Million Dollar Baked Potato as sunrise creeps to life on a summer day, sound of Mexican surf lapping the shore, its sound accentuates music in his head from his deck overlooking the ocean, as he sits staring into the distant void of dawn from his swank house on the cliffs of the Pacific in an exclusive locale. A near-empty bottle of Jack Daniels rests on the outdoor glass table next to him. A cigarette dangles between his long fingers, held firm, yet looks precarious, alongside his silver skull ring. Pills, combination, secret formula, to keep the morning shakes away, not to be confused with his seemingly natural jerky movements. Choreographed smoothly with purpose, like timing of rolling, rolling surf waves, especially when he talks, exquisitely unrehearsed, as part of his normal being. Holding his cigarette with slight effeminacy, yet with a strong masculine assurance, bringing his signature Keith Mann coolness, elegance to his groove motions, a blue stream of smoke holds its place briefly, then patterned movement of his arms, while talking as an artist using brush strokes on a blank canvas of semicircles with squiggles that look like Picasso paintings, his words as accompanied brushstrokes of coolness incarnate. As the morning sun warms the ocean air at his beautiful Baja California Sur Villa, facing southeast onto the Pacific Beach in the coastal luxury area of Palmilla, he continues to look out onto the calm ocean, sunrise unfolding its energy from darkness as it preheats life east across the tip of Baja, where the Sea of Cortez meets the Pacific, he lights another cigarette. Squinting out onto the waves of water, focusing his tired eyes onto a lovely bikini-clad woman on a yacht waving at him, his raspy yet sultry rolling English accent mumbles roll to life. You can eat tortilla chips in my bed anytime, love. Followed by a quick, gruff, low-tone laughter as he smiles big and waves back. To break monotony of his listening to old rock classics and his own draft music recordings, he puts on a 1985 album by The Replacements. Listening to their song, Left of the Dial, gently rubs his thumb, index, and ring finger to his chin while in deep thought to the song. It rocks with energetic youthfulness of combination punk and metal that boils down to strong rock and roll with lyrics holding the passion that inspires all great music. As he looks into the distance of ocean, exhaling his deep, exhaling his deep thought, speaking aloud, they would have made it big time if they weren't so bloody self-deprecating. 
He is none the worse for wear, pulling an all-nighter, as always. The tens had turned to hundreds and well over a thousand over the decades. Given his age and longevity from medical science to an organic diet, it can continue the way is the lot of vampire lifestyle of an aged rock star that had almost become extinct from the Haiti wild times heyday of the 1960s and 70s. Plus, all the other places on the planet he had sought refuge to expand his mind properly in seclusion as best possible, as those early hour dark corners of night spawn the ideas that become great music, the downside being sometimes his rock star mates succumb to drug overdose, car accidents, and so on, him not fade away as he chuckles to himself in thought. Along with diet, transfusions, and medicine, some pills give him dreams that bring ease of sensations like being trampled by turtles that keep him from permanent sleep. After each all-nighter, it is time for a special meal, his famed million-dollar baked potato dish, created by one of his former personal chefs. His cigarette cottonmouth springs with the saliva anticipating, recalling its ingredients. Tsar Imperial Sabruga Russian cave Caviar, the prehistoric sturgeon egg, its complex taste of creamy, buttery flavor, yet with a clean finish combined with organic yogurt, sprinkled with truffles, the wild truffles found by special pigs in Italy and France, not those bullshit imitation truffles that are branded as real. So how is a million-dollar baked potato made? Fuck yes. He knows the preparation by heart. First, you need a flawless, large but not huge, perfectly baked Idaho potato. Slice it open and push the sides so as to open a canyon for a large scoop of room temperature unsalted organic butter. Add a tiny sprinkle of garlic salt. Open a 30-gram Savruga Imperial Caviar can. Put the entire con contents in the potato. Add two scoops of creme fraiche. Sprinkle on some finely chopped chives, top with real truffles, and voila! One of the best things ever invented to soothe the soul of a ravenous, bored rock star after being up all night. As he waits for his personal chef to prepare the expensive potato, he thinks about an old friend, although he lost many over the years. The one he misses most, Bobby Keys the small-town Texas boy that was the very best stone saxophone player. Back in the day, Bob, he thinks out loud, and makes him crack a big smile in memory, looking long out onto the Mexican Ocean. Now there is a cat that was a proper rock and roller. That was true brother. So close they were, like twins, actually both born December 18th in 1943. Keith relished in his memory of Bobby with his own personal experience and that of what he brought the Stones music. Bobby, man, he was a nuclear force of a human being without regrets, charm like no one else with quick wit at times, making you laugh so hard you could piss yourself. Bobby had a way about him like no other person he ever met. He pondered further about Bobby's musical impact, like the Beatles had Billy Preston. We had our own Bobby, that extra stone like Preston. Keys made us more accessible to America. We are English lads that cannot pretend soul like root blues rock. Bobby's important influence on the Stones, it was a signature saxophone style, his jive to make us even better. 
Let It Bleed and Sticky Fingers brought his special sauce funk to our band. Keith recalled that there was another side to Bobby, the risk taker that always came out unscathed. He admired that and was often a part of the fun, but would never dare to do or aspire to reach that level of craziness of Bobby thinking about the time when, while recording, Exile on Main Street for the 72 release, during some downtime during the recording, Bobby at the wheel almost killing Charlie Watts on the winding cliff roads of the south, in the south of France. So many crazy stories. Was it even worth counting them all? Keith further chuckled out loud, shaking his head slowly, side to side, appreciating they both had a special kinship, despite their wild times on tour or elsewhere. Their connection was rooted in their music. How his guitar and Bobby's saxophone fed off each other, making them, bo them both better. Keith continued to stare out onto the morning, calm Mexican ocean horizon, looking at nothing in particular. As Keith's, as Keith's memories went deeper about the disagreement with Mick over Bobby being permanently kicked out from a 1973 incident while touring Europe, he was so far gone once entering his hotel suite to leave for the next gig, the room a train wreck, empty champagne bottles scattered about. Obviously, Bobby was up all night partying. Bobby holding a full one in the bathtub with a French woman, both naked and giggling. giggling. Fuck off, Bobby yelled, laughing aloud in Texas bravado. I'll catch up with you, I'll catch up with you later once I get my shit together. Keith was in the room with Mick. It was awful and hilarious at the same time. Mick didn't see, the, didn't find the humor in it, but Keith did. The stones left without him, of course, tumbling dice as it was. Mick fired him on the spot and was so angry, vowing to never allow Bobby to play with the stones ever again. Keith admired the way he was kicked out. Even though Mick expelled him for life, Keith thought he was too good to be banished. Many years later, he snuck him back in the band once Mick found out it was Bobby playing in rehearsal, realizing he couldn't argue with Bobby's unique saxophone brilliance. Smell of the baked potato and its contents wafted out onto the patio deck with its goodness, permeating the air increasing hunger pangs. I still admire that cat going out that way, yet happy to get him back in the stones, saying aloud to nobody but his memory, living in his plush house with all the trimmings that a rock star of generations would expect, surviving alone most times the way he wants it, solitude, perfection, yet solemn, although in the current moment of longing he did wish the crazy creative music brother, Mr. Bobby Keys, was sitting here next to him, enjoying ramped up, ramped up American Idaho potatoes. I love you, brother, saying aloud and yearning as he squishes out his cigarette, into an Italian marble ashtray shaped like a skull with inlaid jewels. His personal chef finally brings out the mid-morning dinner baked potato. Thoughts move to his appetite, seeing the meal placed in front of him, adjusting his sunglasses to the warming sun. This looks amazing, greeting the chef with a big, contoured, wrinkled face smile. I feel like a million bucks, and that's the nature of my game followed by a final raspy laugh just before taking his first bite. And that was Keith Richards and the Million Dollar, the million dollar Baked Potato from 
Kurt Schweigman's book, Confluences of Solitude, that you can pick up online at, very, um, at Powell's. I bought my copy from Powell's and a bunch of other bookstores and online places. I'd like to thank Kirk Scheigman again for reading On Talking Earth and publisher Michael Burton for connecting us. Now I would like to mention several reading series that are going on in the Portland area. The Last Stand at Wildwood Saloon is still going on. It happens at the Wildwood Saloon on Northwest Burnside and around 20th Avenue every first on every first Monday. I went to the August reading and had the best turnout in a while, and feature reader Ulrich Dolly was great that night. It's a good venue to read your work in, hoping they keep the momentum going. On Saturday, August 26th, the Work Poetry Workshop continues. It's run by Christopher Luna at Birdhouse Books in downtown Vancouver, Washington. It's at it occurs at 9 a.m. to noon, a time that would work for me, but I understand not everyone is an early bird. On September 3rd, the occasional reading series will continue with feature performers Leslie Harper, Christy Lovato, and Natasha Minto. There is also a lottery for open mics slots as well. For more information, please contact host Dina Rash Guzman on Facebook. The Portland Poetry Slam happens every Sunday at 3.30 p.m. at Tiny's Coffee Northeast. That's every Sunday. Um, I believe there is a cover, but I'm not sure how much it is. I'd like to thank everyone for listening. I hope you go to the readings, enjoy the poetry, maybe even write or read some of your own. Um, and everyone have a great night. You have been listening to Talking Earth on KBO Portland.